0: Guys, listen to this. Do you know anything about dual sidewall design? Whisper grooves, earth diggers, or three-peak mountain certification? The Discover Rugged Trek tire from Cooper has all of that and more. The unique dual sidewall design looks great and gives drivers the options for wear. Whisper groove technology blocks air from whistling through the tire, keeping that road noise where it belongs, outside. Outside. And if you find yourself out mudding with your friends, the earth diggers are large scoops and blocks on the side of the tire that act like cogs in a gear to help you dig in the loose dirt, sand, and mud giving you traction on the trail. All of this has earned the Rugged Trek a three-peak certification, confidence that it has the goods to back up the looks. All Cooper tires are backed by a limited warranty, a 45-day test drive warranty, and select products are backed by Treadwear Mileage Warranty, Helping to give you confidence on the road. For complete product and warranty details, please visit www.coopertires.com or www.coopertires.ca. And remember, go with the Coopers.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Crash Course Podcast. I've got Solly on the other end. I'm hosting this one. The kid's driving.
2: This is Neil. Solly, how are you? I am tremendous. Uh, I'm excited to talk some William Flynn with you today. Uh, And most importantly, I'm excited to talk some Northeast Private Golf with you. As the connoisseur of Northeast Private Golf yourself, uh, it was just a privilege to kind of be along for this ride.
1: Philly Golf's been a little bit of a blind spot for me uh, in the past. Even though I, you know, spend a good amount of time in, in the Northeast in New York, but uh, a place that feels very proud of their golf and, um, you know, proud of the architecture.
2: Man, it is such an embarrassment of riches in the Philadelphia area. Like, it, for once, we took a trip up there. We actually added on the proper amount of time to get in some extra golf. Usually, we're so in and out of these places that. You know, we only get a quick sample. Uh, You know, we always do the promise of, we'll get to this place next time. We'll go here next time. Actually getting a full Flint tour on this trip alone. I played Rolling Green, Manufacturers, both. uh, You were there both those days. We played together in one of those rounds. And then I uh, got out to Huntington Valley on Wednesday. And, like, honestly, I don't know if I'd heard of Huntington Valley before, uh, you know, before the trip. And it is, like, it kind of... We'll get to that crash course as well. But it kind of blew me away. And it's just... Like the level of golf, the the volume of golf in the Philadelphia area uh, is it's it's unparalleled. It's got to be the greatest golf city and most underrated golf city uh, in America. I don't think it comes to mind immediately when you think of great golf cities, and it definitely definitely should. Uh, It's got tier one courses, and then like the tier twos. There's just a crazy 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 volume of them, and we're gonna talk about. One of those that I put in that tier two, which is Rolling Green. And tier two is a incredible compliment. You know, tier one is like Marion, Pine Valley. And then right at the next step, there's so many. And and we're going to talk about a couple of them today.
1: Yeah. So Rolling Green, we were up there for Tom Coyne's book launch. And I, I think it's important to call that out because he's probably the expert. I think he grew up playing there. If you're interested in more content about Rolling Green, I would pick up his book, A Course Called America. Or any of his books, because it feels like uh, his love of golf was born at Rolling Green. So it was good to get a firsthand look at the place. Um, and there's definitely some history there. Saul, you know anything about the history?
2: Uh, I, I'm not like extremely versed in the history, but knowing that it is a William Flynn golf course, and and just kind of reading up on William Flynn, just a, a total menace in the Philadelphia area and the Pennsylvania area in general. Like his list of courses, uh, if you go if you go and look at what he worked on. He kind of cut his teeth at, at Marion, uh, the East Course at Marion, uh, under the tutelage of Hugh Wilson, and he worked as a construction supervisor at Marion, and he remained on as superintendent for a long time. Uh, and after World War I, he formed a design partnership with, uh, with Howard Toomey and uh, became known as the architectural firm of Toomey and & Flynn. And they are the, architect, the primary architects behind um, Rolling Green, uh, lot at Huntington Valley at manufacturers. Uh, he worked at Shinnecock, which is of course not in the Philadelphia area, but he's proudly uh, he that's his most well-known golf course, uh, the Country Club at Brookline. He did redesign work there. He's worked on so many golf courses that you know you've probably come across at some point in your life and maybe not even known it. And I'm not a huge arch- a huge architecture history. You know, knowing who did what to what courses, so it's hard to, for me to speak on exactly what he did at all these places, but just know that he's been at so many influential places in the golf world, uh, and Roland Green is one of them. And So what, what I love about playing golf in this area, what I love about, honestly, the, a lot of the really great uh, courses in the Midwest where I grew up, is the obvious fact that these places are played in one big giant field with holes that are connected. You're not winding through houses. You're not, you know, it's not defined by water hazards. It's not defined by out of bounds or overly penal, you know, uh, hazards, if you will, which I think is the least fun part of golf. It's just one big giant field and it's almost always never flat. Uh, You know, they use the elevation changes to as a main part, if not the main part of the challenge. And I, I, I'm am amazed at the able to build these golf holes up and down like the like rolling green is at a time when there was not ability to move a lot of dirt, and uh, and, and that kind of golf still being very challenging and very relevant to today is what uh, I just, I love that part about the history of the game, you know, we can play this golf course, and we got our asses kicked, which we're going to cover uh, at, at rolling green, you know, a place that was laid out in the 1920s and still in the 2020s is uh, presenting the same challenges.
1: Yeah, I think two things stick out there for me. One, I, I feel like William Flynn is, you know, C.B. McDonald and Rainer and McKenzie get a lot of the attention as architects. He feels like a perfect fit for Philly. You know, a little bit under the radar, you know, very but, – but the area is very proud of that golf, and he may not be getting the attention that he deserves for, you know, all the courses you just lifted off. And then, two, for us coming out of Florida – to go up to the northeast, it, it's jarring to uh, not have flat lies. Mm. It's it's a very subtle thing that it, it kind of hits you in the face though when you get out there, you're like, oh yeah, I hit the fairway, but I'm on the wrong side of the fairway and the ball's below my feet, it's above my feet. And then when you're hitting into these greens um, that are running you know, at a lightning pace with all these false fronts, it just, it turns into a train wreck pretty quick. And I don't know, this is completely unsubstantiated, but I felt like with the golf I played in Philly, there's almost like an, an inter-club you know, or a rivalry around the city and around the area of who can turn their greens up the oh fastest. God. Right? It's like, <laughs> I... no, 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 our greens. No, no, you, you haven't seen anything yet until you've seen our greens. It's like this one-up brinksmanship with uh, between the superintendents, and it feels like the clubs want that. They want these these courses – you know these greens running as fast as possible. It's like a a badge of honor, a little bit. That's the vibe I got. So I don't know if that's true, but that's the sense that I got.
2: That and the water pressure in the Northeast, we know, are the are the very important things to the Huge. to the uh, member experience there. But it, it I do sense that. And you, you spoke on this a little bit. Uh, the inner club rivalry kind of goes to, in the best way, I would say, uh, between the actual clubs, the, the the members at the clubs. They had the gap, the great. I assume it means greater area, Philadelphia. Uh, golf association or golf association of Philadelphia, maybe, uh, whatever it is, is like one of the most robust uh, city or, or you know state golf associations I've ever heard of. the The gap matches that they have between these clubs, like team like clubs field up to four teams at some clubs of, of players that compete in these kind of Ryder Cupish style matches that span over several weekends in the spring every year. Uh, I may not have the full the full history of it there, but I was just amazed to hear about the level of competition between these clubs and uh, kind of the you know that's it, the identity being more than just what course you play, but more of the club that you are, you belong to that you you know kind of team up against and go against other teams. That, that that sounded so cool to me, so fun and and you know the thrill that I've gotten out of playing amateur golf is very lonely, like you just go around kind of by yourself, you meet some people along the way, but you're playing individual stroke play. Whereas if you were doing this as a team, like a club team and going around and playing other matches, uh, that would be something I would be extremely interested in being a part of. And I really enjoyed learning about that. So
1: I, I got a kick out of that too. It was, it felt more like tennis, you know, like in uh, it, it, Atlanta growing up, you know, Alta, like Atlanta Lawn and Tennis Association. But the, every every club has like an A team, B, C, D. I've never really heard of that for golf.
2: Yeah, that's um, so cool. But to your point, you know, so for this book launch especially, I have a feeling that Coin, you know, had told them or, you know, that we were going to be coming, uh, you know, the, the, the group of golf junkies that was going to be coming told them to dial the place up as much as possible. And I believe if we can cut to the superintendent, t- if he was uh, to say a word or two, he would say, and I took that personally because that man chose violence on this day, and I have that was the hardest condition. And if I may say, I'm going to ask you especially not to judge Rolling Green by the conditions in which we saw it, because it was silly golf. Unfortunately, the greens were are so undulating, and the property is you know so much up and down. There's already so much going on. Just overall gradual slopes on these greens. That when you put them at 13, they don't hold. Like you I we're gonna get to the 14th hole. It's a long par three. It plays up the hill. I hit the four iron like the best four iron I hit all day. An awesome shot up the hill. I hit it twenty-five feet above the hole on the putting surface. I made eight because I de-greened myself twice because of how fast these greens were. So I get the feeling that you didn't get the full experience. This was your only time playing real green. I've got to play it once prior to this, and it was challenging on that day, but not nearly to the extent uh, which we experienced it uh, in May. And so, just if you're if you're you know if if you got bruised up a little bit, I just want to make sure we're keeping that into perspective. It's not always like that.
1: Yeah, I was expecting you know, book launch, maybe a hit and giggle. Right. Uh, and we kind of got that, but on the other end of the spectrum, yes, where it was, <laughs> I was giggling because I hit, you know, I, what I thought was say a great wedge, put a little spin on it and it, you know, twice it rolled back down these, you know, false fronts, I'd say 60 yards. And, you know, then you're hitting another wedge from 60 and, and you can't, you know, it's up, it's steep hill. So you can't really see where you're hitting it. Um, But that's the main defense for the course is these elevated greens um, and fast greens. So I I would say that I'd love to play it again, um, you know, if it wasn't that turned up. But at the same time, it was, you know, a stern test of golf. And it kind of showed that a course doesn't have to be 7,000 plus yards to play very difficult for,
2: uh, you know, a lot of what I would say good amateurs that came out there to play that day. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right, and uh, you know it was interesting. I actually got to play on this day with Gil Hans, who's going to be doing some uh, redesign slash renovation work uh, for them, I believe, starting this fall. And it was just interesting to play with Gil on this day where things got a little out of hand uh, and balls rolling off greens. And listen, you're a good golfer. I'm a good golfer. It was too hard for us so like imagining like 15 to 20 handicappers or, or you know older members trying to get around this place on this day you can't picture it right it's just it was but too that difficult
1: fits, like it fits Philly a little bit Philly has a blue collar vibe to me like it's always had a you know it, I, you know straight up Eagles fan have a chip on their shoulder and so it's like they, it almost has an attitude of we don't play this game to feel good about ourselves you know we're out <laughs> yeah. here to test ourselves right and and I think that uh, you know they may have turned it up a little more than they normally do, but. I feel like that's the kind of golf they want to play, especially when they start doing these, you know, all these inner club matches and stuff. It's like, no, we're going to turn it way up. We're going to get some home field advantage because we know where you can land it on this green, and you know where you're going to have a lot of issues, you know, with false fronts and and where you don't want to miss, basically.
2: Well, and I also I'd imagine in the spring you're trying to get the course to dry out as fast as possible, coming off winter. Um, and truly, I think they've had a great spring, and you're probably honestly trying as best you can every week to get it as dry as you can and it just with the dryness that they've had it just got to a point where they weren't probably expecting it to get at that point in the year's may 24th or whatever and you know your your whole mindset always oh, week after week let's go dry it up dry it up dry it up oh man we might have gotten it a little too far uh it was probably something they just got hit with uh, a little quicker than they expected yeah
1: but so you're playing with gill what what's uh you know Give me some some tidbits from him. What's he thinking? Does he have an overarching goal or vision for what he wants to do with rolling green?
2: I think, you know, I don't know if this day changed anything. You know, they're not planning really, as far as I know, uh, to do a lot of work on the greens. Um, But with them, you know, if one one thing has to change, right? Either you can't get them out, stemping at 13, or you need to settle down on the slopes of the green, Right. One thing's a lot easier to change than the other, and that's of course just not mowing the greens as tight, right? They play plenty firm, they play you know plenty interesting at an eleven or a ten. Honestly, and we played some of the other courses that we played on this trip. You know, didn't you didn't you got the full experience of the challenge of the greens without them having to be a thirteen, without having to be just breathe on it and it's gonna go. So uh, I I think he kind of was recognizing that it was it was just the course is not meant to be played at that speed. But, you know, it was really interesting just hearing the very little subtle things such as, you know, some what I don't know what the exact term to use was maybe. I don't think it was lazy, but something along those lines in terms of gutters and alleys that were built around bunkers to make sure water drained away from bunkers was, you know, not something that that old architects did. Right. They let the water go get in the bunkers and they worked hard to maintain the bunkers uh, for members. So kind of bringing that look back of. You know, not having little gutters or, or whatnot around the bunkers and just letting you know, letting that bunker contour kind of feed into a slope uh, and have it look much more natural. That's something I never would have thought of. I never noticed on a golf course, but that was kind of the thrill out of uh, out of playing with Gil and pointing out little things like that. That you know, he maybe wouldn't wouldn't highlight it. What he's going to do in some of his changes, but just a, a subtle thing that you know makes him you know why so many so many clubs bring him in for renovations and restorations and stuff and and the main thing too was the the fairways I don't know if it's just a thing over time or it's been an intentional thing but the fairways are narrow out there and it's a course that is so defined by the ups and downs and the firmness of the greens that it's just unnecessary to have narrow fairways because the angle at which you're coming in from really matters out there And so you're afforded the ability to have wide fairways to say like, hey, you can play up the left on this one, play down the right on this one. For members, getting balls out and rolling and running really far is a key. And, you know, you just don't want people, because you want them to experience the thrill of that approach shot. You don't want them to be 220 out in the rough with no chance to get on the green. So giving the members a little bit more width to get off the tee Yet, you know, for, for better players, it doesn't make it any easier, right? There's holes I was aiming straight for the rough on, like, the uphill par for the fourth because of how firm the greens were. I was like, I don't want to – I need to come in from this right angle. I'd rather yeah. do that than, than try to hit this fairway and end up left and be totally screwed trying to get to this pin. So uh, adding some width in places, I think, is something that they're going to look to do. Um, and I, I don't know what other, what other changes he's making, if they're under embargo or not, but those are the, those are the few that came to mind.
1: Well, that stuck out to me number nine, the uphill par five. Like that fairway slopes like crazy from left to right. And there's just you kinda yeah, maybe you want to be up the left to get high ground, but the the ball you'd hit the left side of the fairway would roll all the way down to the right rough. And that the right side of the fairway, like the right rough was flat, and then there's a creek on the far right. And I was thinking to myself, why don't you just shave all this rough out? You know, if someone misses it way right they're in the creek, but if not they get a flat lie, you know, over there on the right side you know, they get rewarded for challenging the hazard, I guess, you know, it was like little things like that, where it was almost like the fairway was, I don't want to say pointless, but no balls were stopping in it, right? like, because they were just going to all roll down into this, um, this right rough. And I, sometimes I get frustrated when you play a course. uh, I remember this vividly at Cabot Links on like the third or fourth hole there, where all you could see all the divots, every ball ends up in the same, yeah. you know, 10 to 20 yard quadrant, just because of the undulations and stuff and if you can try to as an architect or if you're redesigning something I would say like try to change that a little bit is you know probably something I'm a, I'm a fan of
2: and, and and Gil is so versed in the history of you know what he, he knows what Flynn would was thinking or would be thinking when you and I go play a golf course I don't go through that exercise I'm not I don't have that in mind I don't you know, I kind of see what's right in front of me, and I enjoy the challenges. I couldn't go in and renovate or restore Rolling Green, right? I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't know how to do it. But he is the exact guy that knows in the little touches he can include to, you know, you know, challenge all kinds of different kinds of players, and and I, it just looking at the overhead images, it just it is the the width is really where I think things would really change out there. And I love this golf course; it's so much fun to play. It's, it's kind of – I don't mind the fairway with that much because the rough is relatively easy to play out of, and like I said, it almost is preferred on, on, on some of the angles and stuff into the green. Um, but, yeah, that's I'm, – I'm very, very curious as how this is going to look when he's all done because they've taken a lot of trees out over the years. I know a lot of clubs in the Northeast have, and it really just helps with the connectivity of the golf course, seeing other parts of it, and uh, just seeing how many they've taken out over the last two years since the last time I was there was was pretty jarring. so
1: and did did gill say anything about is it aerial photography is that his main research is he like or is he reading you know i'm sure he's well read on architecture and and flynn specifically but anything else he mentioned that he's like using as source material
2: i honestly don't remember um i think he does have some some notes or some some sort of uh historical documents he's working off of um he seemed very confident in his plan almost as if his, his work and 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 plan is done, and he was just out there really enjoying the golf course. It wasn't it wasn't a working day for him.
1: Yeah, how's his game?
2: Gill's game is what I would say very representative of a uh, a large portion of the golfing population. Right, the places where he hits the ball, I'd say he's about a twelve, and I think on this day he was getting seventeen pops or something like that with how they had rated the course for the day. But um, you know, I I, I was. I don't know why. I was expecting like a him to be a stick, like a total stick, and I was actually kind of relieved to see somebody who's in charge of doing so many of these golf courses play a game that's more representative of the golfing population. Yet, still being very in tune with how to uh, how to challenge a better player, and, and you know, it was in, in that regard, it was kind of a relief.
1: Yeah, he looks like such a statesman, right? You're almost <laughs> like his game must be elegant, right? So, I I was playing with um, actually a couple guys from Florida. um, Travis Hill of the Golfers Journal and I, were, and one one guy, Kyle was he was in his I think mid twenties and he'd never really played golf outside of Florida. I think he just picked the game up recently and and he was you know pretty good for someone who hadn't played for very long. And he was so used to playing target golf in Florida. And I was pointing out to Travis like uh, I think it was on the you know I want to say the thirteenth hole. I was like he was chipping. I was like you need to aim it. And I was pointing fifty at least fifty feet. Left of the of the hole, and it was just gonna trundle down the down the green towards the hole, and and it, it, Travis hit the spot I was looking at, and he ends up with like five six feet, and uh, this guy Kyle was like, "Oh my God, I've never seen anything like that, you know." And it was like see it's almost seeing somebody for the first time see the like how much fun it is to watch the ball on the ground. Yes, you know, and move, and it was like I just felt like honored to see somebody with that first moment, you know, it was like someone like yeah. watching a kid ride a bike for the first time or something. I was like this. Yeah, man, this is great. Right. Like I didn't even know why he was shocked. He was like, I was, he was like, why were you, why were you, I couldn't believe you were pointing that over there. Like, what are you doing? And that's just how fast the greens were rolling. Like it was just, you couldn't stop the ball out there. So, uh, you didn't that even, you didn't even mean that, to
2: say that you said how fast the greens were rolling at rolling green. You didn't even yeah, notice you did that. I didn't
1: even notice <laughs> I did that. Unbelievable. Uh, all right. So let's, let's see what was your favorite hole out there? Ooh man, favorite hole.
2: There are some really, really good ones. There's a there's a great stretch. Uh, you you tee off the tenth is a really difficult par three. I'm not gonna put that as my favorite. It's a good hole, but it's just so hard. I can't have it as one of my what, favorites. Two, but... Playing like 240. Yeah, it was the, an absolute the beast. The course.
1: I, that's another thing that stuck out. It's you know they're landlocked a little bit um, around the edges. It felt like they're getting a lot of distance from those par threes.
2: Yes um the 11th hole sticks out to me and if you look at the aerial of it it, you know it sits really at the furthest east part of the property and it's not the prettiest hole from an aerial perspective but you tee off you go way down a hill then come back up to a green and the way the green is canted from the tee immediately your instinct is like all right we need to go to left here like i need to come in from the left i don't want to come in from the right yet there's just a perfectly placed bunker on the left side of the fairway that steers you away from going left. And like that, again, not being extremely versed in Flynn, but just understanding classic strategy of, you know, you want to place a hazard exactly where somebody would want to hit the ball, and you can reward somebody that plays close to that hazard and they have the best angle to come into the green. That kind of the way that hole got my mind working, you know, and there's a you go back uphill to the green, there's great slope you can use off the left and all kinds of different ways to feed the ball down onto the green if you're coming in from the right angle. That to me just epitomizes golf strategy and what what really activates some fun out of me. Then you roll into this stretch of 12, this short four with this awesome green sight. Uh, You know, you're hitting just a little wedge up there, uh, but there's these bunkers up on the hill behind the green that if you go too far are some of the worst places you could ever miss on a golf course. Um, Rolling right into the 13th hole was just a massive par four with like a, you know, a less than driver off the tee for me and then a huge eight or nine iron over this chasm that sits between the fairway and the green, it's just a very—it's a thrilling little shot. That little stretch does it for me and is uh, probably the most memorable stretch on the course. What about you? What sticks out?
1: Yeah, you nailed it with 13. I think you were playing in the group ahead of me, and everybody was hitting driver. I saw you hit driving iron, so I, I said, I'm doing that. And it got us both, I think, right to the top of that hill. And what a fun approach shot that was. I think I hit 175, hit a seven iron in. One of the best shots I hit all day, and it's just it's almost like an arena. You're going over this Mm -hmm. creek, and you see everybody that hit driver they're down they're down low now, hitting up to this green that's hard to hold, and or they're you know challenging this creek. It's not really you know it's like a blind tee shot that teases you into like yeah just bomb it down there. Um, But being up up top a little bit farther back, I thought was was a great spot to be. Um, And then I four putted, which was cool (laughs) from like 20 feet. Uh, not unusual that, on this day that that's summed up the day but also it also sums up what, what else and we haven't mentioned yet uh, unbelievable infrastructure because mm. then that bridge is sitting on your left which is the bridge you cross on 14 the par three and that's probably pictures people have seen of rolling green it's this big like trestle i mean i don't know it's just it just screams like heavy industry like big steel bridge with uh, like wooden planks, and I am, i got a little bit of vertigo walking over the thing. I was—I'm you know, glad you, you said that. I—you don't look, you want to—you want—you kind of don't want to like trip on these wood planks, and so you're looking down, and you're seeing—I don't know—at least 75 feet at some point, maybe 100 feet down, and you're just like—you start to get a little dizzy when you're walking over this bridge. I found myself reaching out for the uh, for the guardrail a couple of times just to make sure I was okay.
2: I I, I thought I was the only one. Uh, and you know, guys were trying to talk to me as I was going over the bridge, and I had to stop. I was like I I just need a second. Like I was getting extreme. I did not enjoy that bridge. I would if I played the, if I go to Rolling Green again. I am you know it, it's sound and structure. There's no issues with it. But like you said, you could see down through the wooden planks. And I did not handle that very well. I, I, th- at that moment, I was like, oh my, am I afraid of heights? Like, I don't think I, know, I, I, don't know. Think I knew that.
1: <laughs> I, I was a thrill, though. I liked it. I was like, this is, you know, kind of got my juices going. So I, I liked that. And then there was a, a downhill par five on the front. I think number seven. That's right. Um, you know, big downhill tee shot. And another thing about the course that I liked is it, it had some very um, sneaky, stressful creaks. Crisscrossing, yes. especially on the front nine, where you're like, is that where's that creek going? You know, it's like a snake in the grass. You're like, I, is it, is it coming, coming across the fairway? Where, where's it cutting over there on the left side? Like, how far? If I, I guess, if I hit driver up the right, I can clear it. You know, it just, those creeks to me, much more so than lakes, are a lot, uh, they scare me a lot more because I just don't know where they're going. I don't know what they're doing out there.
2: Um, but what I love so, about a creek versus a lake is. You have much more, you know. You have a, g- a lot greater options and how to avoid it, right? Yeah. You, a lake is going to define where you have to hit it if it's in the middle of a fairway or something like that. Whereas the creek is like, dude, this thing is small. Like you would have to try to hit it in this. Like you're reckless if you hit it in this thing. Yeah, and but, it, it, but it occupies your mind for sure. No, and it's I, great. And that's
1: what I like about it. It's a, it's a, like you said it earlier uh, in the pot of, of it just, it, it's not the water hazards that are like, yeah, don't hit it here. It's not like big in your face, obvious. It's like, just, it's the classic. Like if you do hit it in there, you're like, God, man, I, I forgot about the Creek. You know, (laughs) what am I doing?
2: Strategize around it rather than just have an execution test to get over or around it. You know what I mean? Like that is so much more intriguing than like, I mean, I like the 18th hole at Sawgrass, but like that thing is just so right in your face of there's a huge giant pond to your left that you have to avoid with every shot. So,
1: yeah, and so then on seven, you so you get you clear the creek, or but it's a, a reachable par five and one where you can, um, and I think I feel like Gill will do a lot with this hole. You can bank one off the right down into this green that sits, you know, kind of down and then and then slopes down to the back left, and that was a fun approach shot there too. And then you know, of course, the green's crazy, and you know, there's a lot of big numbers waiting for you there. But I, I felt like the both the drive and the second shot there were very stimulating.
2: Yeah, I hit a uh, not to brag, but I hit a wedge into that par five. It's not a big deal. Uh, it was a, it's an enormously downhill tee shot, right? And you have but you had this creek that acts as a buffer there, and I, I managed to stop on like five feet in front of the of the creek, and it was sitting in the rough, and it was going to jump, and it's just so crazy firm. I think I had one fifty something, and I was like, I need to play at most this front number, which was like one twenty. And I kind of blocked a little gap wedge towards the front right. Didn't hit it very good. And it bounded up the slope uh, from in front of the green, bounded up and like took the slope left and was it settled about 12 feet from the hole. And I kind of acted like, you know, I was kind of pissy after I hit the shot and then had to play it off like I totally meant to do that. But that was just like appreciation for like the creativity you need to have on these golf shots. And I wasn't totally dialed into all that just yet. Of if I had played the shot I wanted to, it would not have ended up very good just because I needed to know how the ball was gonna bound and how all the greens were gonna slope. But it just the whole entire golf course it screams as soon as you're done with it, you want to go play it again because you're like, All right, well, I won't do that mistake again. Now I know I need to not do this and it just seems like a great place if you're able to learn the, you know, some actual course knowledge on it. It's a place that you would just keep getting better and better at.
1: And I think that whole it felt like the bunkers were were good not great like in the front there's one in the front right and then one like left you know green side that's where what you were saying about gill like getting a ball to you know if you're trying to run one in there it, it may catch the wrong slope and run into the bunker instead of into the drainage area in front um so i, I have a feeling he may do a lot with that hole because it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's almost like a really it's rough around the edges right now and i think it could
2: be awesome um it's an, an uncomfy tee shot on. down the hill, yeah. <laughs> kind of a big time to a fairway at an angle. And it, it really is a bite off as much with as OB, you want. OB yeah. left.
1: Right. And, and you don't want to really be right. Cause then you have a blind shot in it from the rough. Um, all right. So what'd you, uh, what'd you shoot out there?
2: Oh gosh. I don't know. Um, equitable stroke control would have been my friend just with the eight I made on the par three that I hit it to 25 feet on. But I I think I was only like uh, I was one under or something through five or six holes, and I definitely didn't break eighty uh, because of the the enormous numbers um, that, that that unfolded down the stretch. But uh, I played I actually played pretty good. Like I said, I just couldn't get the damn ball in the hole because it was just it, 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 once I realized how crazy the greens were, then I got super uncomfortable with my approach shots. Like, well, sh- I can't leave this above the hole. I can't do this. Can't do this. And it just kind of started started uh, uncrumbling for me a little bit. I, we were on three hours sleep. It was the day after the PGA Championship. I don't, I'm don't. i going to make a bunch more excuses before we finish this as well. But what would you shoot?
1: I shot 89, and <laughs> I did not lose a ball, and I didn't have anything over a double bogey. How many putts? Uh, I don't know how many putts I had, but I, I will say this. I parred the last two holes of the day, really strong pars. To And I haven't shot in the 90s since uh, sometime in 2019. It's like a, a streak I'm very proud of. And mm. I told, you know, the guys I was playing with, like, I, I need to battle here because I'm, you know, I need to I need a couple pars or I'm going to shoot 90 and that's really going to piss me off. And so I was proud of the way I finished. I competed. And that's the thing. I felt like I hit the ball really well that day. And then, you know, you just, you're a little, little off on your distance control or uh, you know, I, I did have a lot of putts that, def- that definitely didn't help. Um, But yeah, there was just a lot of very comfy doubles, like where it's like, man, did I double that? Really? Like, I thought I hit, I didn't think I hit a bad shot there. You know, just a bunch of mediocre putts and all of a sudden, you know, you're on in three and then a a very like ho-hum three putt. It's like, yeah, that's a six. Okay, cool. Hmm. Next hole. So, um, but I I still had fun. So I'm I'm happy that I, I'm happy I broke 90. I was, (laughs) Hmm. I had my head up after the round. I was like, all right, mission accomplished. The streak's alive still.
2: Well, I my lasting impression, though, rolling green is just like, it, it's just classic. It, classic is the word I'd use, right, in the, in the strategy and the shots that are involved. And it really is a place where you kind of do hang yourself. There's a route to every hole. There's a way to do it. And then the second you get short-sighted, it is just so penal, right? And you can avoid that, right? If you don't hit yeah. it there, you're not short-sighted. And so it feels very um the the punishment feels deserved if the greens were normal right the punishment feels deserved I should not have hit it there this is fair I just messed this up that's a really fun challenge because then you just feel like you're just kind of building off scar tissue and and knowing how to you know I want to play this place again you know with a slightly less maybe not even slightly much less dialed up greens because you're still getting that same thrill and uh, it, it scratches a, a, a niche for me. I, I love rolling green.
1: Yeah, I I mean to shoot it, like I didn't have. I wasn't picking up my ball. I didn't pick up my ball all right. day. Right. So that to me is like, hey, that's a that's just a good golf course. Then I didn't. I because the worst feeling is when you know it's all it's water ob everywhere, and you're just like, cool. I'll see you guys in the next tee. And I'm taking the double, you know, equitable stroke control. And I'm you know then i I hate that feeling. I can't stand right. it when I'm when the ball's in my pocket. So I didn't have that all day. It was just like a, it was just a, a sparring session out there. I, mean, <laughs> I just got beat up a little bit, but I, but I went the distance.
2: <laughs> so we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back yeah. in Philly and we're going to, we're going to give it, give this one another shot. Maybe once Gil has, uh, has done some work out there and uh, appreciate them having us out for the book launch. It was so much fun. Shout out to coin for hosting and shout just,
1: out to Aaron who oh, helped gosh. us with our events and, and help Tom plan this one. Uh, I, you know, it was, it was a, a very fun, very fun outing um, you know a couple weeks ago
2: so uh, neil thanks for helping me uh, debrief uh, it was a little it was you know a little cathartic to revisit this day but uh, i do have great memories of rolling green and hope to make it back in the near future cheers <laughs>